Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hi, everybody. We're the Homegirls, and we're here today with Kimberly Meserve. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. I got it right. Yay. And she is an agent in Boston with Street Property Team at Keller Williams. So, Kimberly, we talked to Jason Abrams and he told us that we had to have you on the show. So, that is like a very strong recommendation, which is awesome. So, tell us about how you got started in real estate and that journey for you. Yeah, um, journey is a great word because it has been quite the journey for me. So, I bought my first house when I was 24 years old. Uh, I was really lucky that my parents kind of instilled in me that I should buy a house as soon as I possibly could. So um, I I have a, like a little bit of a unique background for ending up in real estate. I actually have a degree in fine art in painting. And um, I did go to school originally to major in business, got there, was super bored, wanted to drop out. My family really encouraged me to stay in school. So I was like, well, if I'm gonna stay, I'm going to do something I really enjoy. Well, when you get out of college, there's not a lot of job options for someone with a painting degree. So I ended up getting a job for a company in Boston. Um, I was living in New Hampshire at the time and they sold wholesale wholesale scarves to companies like Nordstrom, Anthropology, TJ Maxx. So I really enjoyed that job. Um, that actually allowed me to buy my first house, but I like did not love my work environment just not a great boss, toxic work environment. So my real estate agent was the one that encouraged me to get my license. Um, And she was like, you would be really good at it. And I had always been interested and it it was just kind of like the right timing of it all where I wasn't very happy. So um, I've been licensed for five years now. I've had quite the um, path to get to where I am today. So I started out in Southern New Hampshire, Southern Maine area. I was an agent there for a couple years had no idea what I was doing, like ended up um, joining a team, but it was like a new team. There weren't a lot of resources. So my first year in business was a lot of me like figuring out how the heck I do this. Uh, I didn't have really any friends that were buying houses at that time. I was by far the youngest of all my friends to buy. Um, So it was a journey. And then um, at the end of my first year in business, I broke up with my boyfriend that I was with at the time for six years. So that was like a pretty big life change for me. And I was at the same time offered an admin position. And so where I was at in my life, I was like, well, you know, stability, like I'm going to, I hadn't really like figured out how to make the sales thing happen. So I took that opportunity. So I, I did that for um, probably about 11 months. And then by fall of 2017, I was just not super happy. I wasn't happy having my income dependent on someone else, them having to show up every day and lead generate, do the activities. So I had a friend who was a director of ops for a team in the North shore of Massachusetts. And she was like, Hey, you should come join our team. And I had only ever lived like within 45 minutes to an hour of where I grew up. Um, even my college wasn't that far away. So I figured, you know, I'm young. If there's a time for me to move somewhere new, it's going to be now. So I moved in the fall of 2017 and joined that team and um, ended up getting licensed in Massachusetts, obviously. And by summer of 2018, they were talking about expanding on kind of a local level. So they came up to me and said, hey, would you be interested in being our Boston expansion partner? Um, And the friends that I had made at that time were in Boston. So it made sense for me logistically. So um, I moved in August of 2018 and about a month before that. So they did a lot of their lead gen was commissions Inc leads, which can take some time. Like you're not getting a lead and they're not buying tomorrow. It's like some nurturing there. So I had found a lender partner who was interested in doing first time homebuyer events for me. So we started doing those in July of 2018 and our first event, we had like 30 plus people show up and I ended up getting like three buyers out of it. And so we were like, Oh, maybe, maybe we have something here. 
So we started doing those. And then September of 2018, I got a call that everybody that was like an agent in the hub team that I was a part of, I was the expansion partner, um, all but three of the agents were leaving and both the admins were leaving. And so they were like, hey, this is what's going on. And I had no idea because I was 45 minutes away. I thought everything was going great. They were like, do you, do you want to stay? We totally understand if not. And I looked at all the business that I had at that time and it was stuff I had generated from these buyer events. So it just, it didn't make sense for me to stay. So I ended up leaving and um, it's been a journey since then starting my own team. So tell us about your team now. Yeah, so um, I guess the, the whole team thing for me is relatively new. So last year, I just had the leverage of a transaction coordinator. And um, at a certain point, I had a showing assistant who ultimately wasn't the right fit. So today, it's myself. I have a transaction coordinator. I have an executive assistant, a showing assistant, and a buyer's agent who is relatively new. That's exciting. What is it like? Well, first of all, tell us like volume wise, what do you, you guys are accomplishing right now as a team? Yeah. So, um, it's all been me for production this year because Alex literally just started a couple weeks ago, but, um, we are at closed and pending 20 million. So I'm super excited because, uh, my goal for the year is 25 and we should definitely be able to hit that. So it's, it's pretty cool because I was just looking at all the numbers and it's like, 2018, having moved to a new market where I didn't know anybody and I was kind of rebuilding things from scratch, my GCI for 2018 was $38,000. And I'm gonna do 25 million this year. So like you do the math, but um, that's like over a 1200% growth. So I'm definitely happy with that. <laughs> what do you attribute that growth to? What was it that made you take off like that? Yeah, I, like, I think I probably didn't like to admit it for the longest time, but I was like the worst offender of that whole like squirrel syndrome. Like I had in 2018, I, I had like two or three different TL positions of, that I was approached about. And every time I had an opportunity come up, I'd get excited and I'd be like, oh, like maybe I'm going to do that. And finally, my coach was like, what are you doing? Like, you need to just get focused. And once I got focused and just said no to everything else and decided, okay, well, I've been doing these buyer seminars. I'm having amazing success with them. This is going to be my one thing until I feel like I've mastered it. And I've seen tremendous growth since then. So will you talk a little bit really honestly about what it's like to transition from being a single agent to a team owner or a team leader? Because this is like the meat where a lot of people get really freaked out or they fail or they get really scared. Like it's a totally different mindset and skill set to go from just selling real estate to like hiring people, dealing with them on a daily basis. What's it been like? Yeah, it's been a journey. And I think it's really easy when you're a solo agent and maybe you just have like contract to close leverage or you have a showing assistant it's easy to not be accountable to the business side of things. And that was like the biggest like growth opportunity for me. Like I full transparency had never kept a PL for my business. And when I realized that I really needed the admin leverage, not for like the transaction side of things, because I have a TC that does contract to close, but it's like, if I'm spending most of my day just doing projects or systems or admin type stuff, I needed that leverage. I was, terrified to make that hire to like bring on somebody that was salaried and even though like I looked at my bank account and I was like okay like I can afford this it's still a very very scary thing to go through at first um but for me it was like okay well I'm gonna sit down and I'm actually gonna be serious about my finances serious about my business expenses and see where things are going so that I can be very confident in that hire and I think that was the biggest area of having to grow and have accountability in my life. Um, and then I think the other side of things is like, sometimes we want to be perfect at it. Right. And like, get it, we want to get it right. But it's, it's a learning experience. Like I've had three showing assistants now before I have my current one and she's amazing. She's a rock star, but every single time I learned like what I did wrong in the process of hiring. And I just was like, okay, well, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And you learn and you grow from it each time. 
what were the top three things that you did wrong? Because I have like a whole list of all the things that I've done wrong with my hires because I've gone through a, quite a few people. Um, but I don't have like that, like, I feel, I feel like the, what you did wrong is more important than what you did right with your hires. Right. So what were the top three things that you know that you did wrong and how did you overcome that to, to get to this, um, awesome showing assistant that you have now, or did you just get lucky? Cause that sometimes happens. Um, I mean, I, I like to think I didn't get lucky. I'm sure luck plays a little piece into that. Um, yeah, I guess, well, first thing, anybody that's listening, that's a Keller Williams agent. If you do the career visioning process, don't skip any steps. Like that was the the first mistake that I made the first time was I skipped steps and um, I wasn't clear in setting expectations. So that's a huge thing um, and holding people accountable to it. So not only do we need to be like outlining what their role is and what they're expected to do, but we need to make sure that there's accountability there. So up until my current hire, I had never had someone do a 411. Like I just, I looked at them as like someone that was kind of just there like to help out when I needed instead of really treating them like a team member and helping them in their own personal growth and discovering what their goals and motivation are so that I can help them get there. Um, so that was a big aha for me. I'd say the other thing was like not settling. So the, the first and the second showing assistant I had I hired out of pain. I was like, I, I really need somebody. And like, this person seems like they have a brain and they're relatively competent. And then when it went for this current hire, I had a couple candidates that I brought all the way to the group interview. And one girl, like super nice, she seemed really competent. Um, but my team leader was involved in that group interview. And he was like, listen, she's really nice. She's really sweet, but she's not gonna be able to keep up with you. Um, and so having that like core advocate of people that know you really well and like know that, yeah, someone might be able to do the role, but are they going to be a personality fit for you? And are they going to be able to grow with you at the speed that you need? Um, so I had to slow down and be like, okay, like I'm really feeling a lot of pain here and I really need someone. However, like this is the third time around. I'm not going to just keep hiring people for the wrong reasons. Yeah. That's like the hardest thing ever is hiring out of pain. Like, I feel like a lot of people hire out of pain because they don't have a choice or you go from, you know, six contracts a month to 12 and all of a sudden you're super overwhelmed and can't keep up and then you can't grow without having that person. So that's like the biggest stressor that I've had. Um, so I totally relate to everything you were saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling very convicted in this moment right now because I'm yeah. at a 20 million by myself and I need to hire and I need to figure out like what my next steps are but I can't get over the fear of like one hiring the wrong person like you're talking about and two I have this really big fear of the money side of it so how did you get over that like the thought of another mouth being dependent on me stresses me out yeah it's it's definitely scary right I think it was a combination of things so like I kind of started with like maybe I did things a little backwards according to the model, but technically like my first hire was a showing assistant. So um, the way that it runs on my team is she gets 20% of the GCI, but I'm not paying her hourly. So I don't want somebody who's just gonna be opening doors and is just like gonna be showing a million properties. Like I want someone that's got skin in the game too. And they're also gonna be kind of encouraging the buyer to go in the right direction. Um, so that I guess eased the pain a little bit of like, okay, like this person doesn't get paid unless I get paid. So that was a little bit easier to swallow, but the admin hire is, it's scary. It definitely is. And I think the thing that I kept in mind the whole time was like, I put together a 30, 60, 90 for that hire. And I said, here's what you're yeah, expected to achieve in the first 30 days. Here's what it looks like for 60 days. And here's what it looks like for 90 days. And at the end of the 90 days, if they're not making me more money, they don't have a job. So instead of thinking about, okay, I need, like, I need to pay this person an annual salary. I just switched my mindset to like, okay, well, I just need enough money for this person to have three months worth of salary. Because if they're not making me more money by the end of that three months, they're not going to be a fit. What did your 30, 60, 90 look like? Can I ask? Yeah. Um, it's hard to remember like everything off the top of my head. So I actually hired, um, part of the, the thing when I went to hire this admin was I knew that 
I was going to skip steps because I was so busy and like I had way too much on my plate. So I actually hired, like I did the hiring for my showing assistant myself and, um, I had someone else do the hiring for my admin hire. So I actually hired Soprani Consulting. I don't know if you guys know Lindsay Soprani. Mm -hmm. They were so thorough. Like they did stuff that I, I would have skipped. And so I was really glad to like, it cost me money, but it was worth it to have somebody really thoroughly looking at each candidate. And they were, they were great along the way. Like I had a couple people and I was like, eh, like, I don't know. And they're like, that's fine. We'll go look for more people for you, which was great. Um, but with that, I also, uh, because I felt like, okay, well, I've invested money. Like this person, it's important that they're successful. I'm not just kind of bringing them on board and then letting them figure it out on their own. Um, I have a, um, I'm using them for like a six month training program. So part of my admins 30, 60, 90 is that she has all these different things that she has to go through with the training program. She's putting systems into place for like, our, like, okay, I know how everything runs in my business in my head, but we have no documentation of that. So um, that's been really helpful, especially because I brought a buyer's agent on shortly after and I wasn't really planning on it, but it was more of like the right person showed up in my life and was, is that he's actually a past client of mine. And he was like, Hey, I'm getting my license. I really, really want to work with you. And like, he's just a wonderful person. So I was like, okay, like I want to get some of these buyers off my plate. The other part I guess would say, I would say is like pipeline. So I knew it was in my pipeline. So it's like, yeah, it's scary to spend this money, but I also know what I have coming down the road for business. Uh, but I wanted to get some of those buyers off my plate. So it just made sense for me to take Alex on. So did you say you made $38,000 in GCI in 2019? 18. 18. Okay. What was 2019 like? I did about 11 million in volume last okay. year. Okay. Okay. So you came into the hires like financially solvent and ready to do this then? Yeah. Well, I mean, I like when I brought the ad, the admin just came on like a month ago. So everybody before that has been, they don't get paid unless I get paid. So that makes it a little bit easier, right? Um, if you're not producing, you're still not, like you're not having to pay that person. But yeah, I mean, I, I probably should have brought admin leverage on a little bit sooner, but I was really scared. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. So tell us about your um, showing assistant. So like how does it work? You told us what she gets paid, but how does the process work? How do you do the handoff with your clients? How does all of that go down? Yeah. So, um, I am probably one of the few people that does like a very thorough buyer consultation. So my buyer consult is about an hour. So we get on a zoom call and I'm talking about needs, wants, all that type of stuff. But then part of it is a presentation. And in that presentation, we're talking about here are the different people that you're going to be working with along the way, including my transaction coordinator. Like here's all the people involved in the step. And I set the expectations with my clients at the consultation that, um, we also have this showing assistant and she's incredible. Her only role is to show properties all day long. She shows houses. So if there's ever a time that I'm not available, you guys aren't going to have to miss out on, on seeing the perfect house because of my schedule. So someone's always going to be there to show you the house. Um, and I think at first, like I was really nervous that they were going to think I was like passing them off. And I've come to realize over time that they really don't care who it is as long as someone is showing them the house. Um, but I mean, like I've definitely trained her to be an extension of me and do things the way that I would, but I'm setting the expectation from the very beginning that Michaela will be involved. So at the end of the consultation, when we're talking next steps, I'm setting the expectation. Hey, you're going to start to get properties. I'm also going to start a group text. If there's anything that you want to see, I'm going to include Michaela in there so that we can help you with scheduling. So at, along the way, it's always, we, we can help you with this. We can get that showing scheduled for you. Are you, is your business like, I know we're going to talk about mega camp and like the virtual lead gen stuff, but are you, do you do a lot of sphere and database? Cause that's where I always get freaked out by the idea of a showing assistant that they're going to be really mad that they're not working with me. Yeah, I don't do a ton of spirit database. It's grown over time. Um, I would say last year, about 80% of my business was from first time home buyer seminars. And then about 20% was agent to agent referrals. And this year, like as I, I, cause I've only lived here for two years, so I don't have a huge sphere here. As I've kind of started to grow a sphere here, I have had probably 
five or six transa transactions this year that were SOI. Um, but I set that expectation. We are going to do this. And like my friends know that I'm doing a big business. So I, I don't think they really care. I think they're just like, we know you're good at what you do. So we want us to help you or we want you to help us, I guess. Did you have any trouble? Like, tell us what your showing assistant's like. Is she younger? Did, did you have trouble getting her to come on board with a commission-based only compensation plan? No, she, um, what I outlined to her was like, hey, based on my pipeline, here's what you can expect to make this year. And here's what you can expect to make moving forward. Here's the potential in this role. Um, I also, like, she's given me a few referrals. So I'm encouraging her you get additional money if you're bringing business to the team as well. Uh, she's probably, I would say, around my age, and she she just like loves it. Um, like her and I were talking today during her 411 meeting, and she's like, I just, I'm like so happy. I love showing houses. Like this is the first job that I've been in that I just like, I really love it. And I think that was like a limiting belief to me for a while was that it was a position that someone was want, going to want to grow out of. Like it was just a stepping stone to becoming a buyer's agent or just becoming a solo agent. Um, and so it's really just taking the time to find the right fit because there are people out there that don't want to deal with the negotiating, but maybe they really love showing houses, attending inspections, meeting with the clients. I do not. <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah, I I have needed like at various times in my career for sure needed to make that hire, and it always makes me afraid to do that handoff for some. It freaks me out. It's it's scary at first, but like when you train them to essentially be an extension of you, all my clients are like the first time they meet her, they're like, oh my gosh, Michaela's wonderful. So like when you first, it's scary at first, but then you get a couple people working with that person and you're like, oh, they're doing a really great job there. Like my goal is to always find people that are gonna do the job better than I will. And like Alex is the same way. Like I, I'm such a high D that I wanna skip steps. And sometimes I like won't even go through the full buyer console because I'm just like, get this over with I just want to like get it done and he's like so thorough he goes through every single single step he gets the appropriate paperwork signed so um it's a good feeling though when you start to get people in your life that are doing the job better than you can yeah I totally agree with that I feel like I'm about to make that higher right now because my passions have changed when it comes to this business <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm to the point now where I feel like I'm going to probably start trying to step back and, and hire some people to take care of those things that I maybe don't like as much. Um, and that happens to be buyers right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I love working with buyers, but like, if I never set foot in another house, I'm totally fine by that. If I never, like, I haven't intended a home inspection in months and that has been amazing. <laughs> yes. The freedom of that sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds incredible. So going into where these leads or deals, people, transactions are coming from, you were just at MegaCamp on the stage, which was virtual because we're in the COVID times, but I would love to hear about that experience, but you were talking, right, about virtual lead generation. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I guess when I kind of settled into accepting that I was just going to get really good at one thing. And I thought it was awesome that Keith Cunningham was talking a lot about mastery because it, it was like reaffirming that I'm kind of doing things right, I guess. Um, so when I just accepted, like, I'm just going to do this thing really, really well and focus on getting great at it before I start adding other things. Um, I, my business started to become really predictable. And so going into this year, I knew on average how many people attend every in-person virtual, uh, excuse me, in-person homebuyer seminar. And I knew what my conversion was. So it became super simple to just be like, okay, well, what do I want to do for business this year? And I decided I wanted to do 50 units. So more than double what I did last year. And then I just had to work back from there. Like, okay, what's my average conversion? How many, how, all the way back to how many events do I need to hold? So we just mapped out our whole year of like, we're going to do two events a month and this is, these are going to be the dates. So we did, I think three of them in person. And then we got shut down pretty early here with COVID. So the second week of March, um, we had to make a really tough call. Like, what are we going to do? We had an event coming up and the brewery that we were doing them at was like, uh, like, I don't, I don't know. We might close. We're not really sure. 
Um, and because my whole goal for the year was based around these events, we didn't really have an option. We just had to switch to doing them virtually. And it's been interesting. Like, um, I would say like slightly less people attend, but my conversion has gone up and I'm saving money. So the only expense now is on the ads. We're not having to pay for beer for people. We're not having to pay for the brewery space. So it's been a, a good trade-off. What was your mega camp experience like? Oh my God. <laughs> Overwhelming, I guess. Um, so it was amazing. I, it's the best word I should use. Like, um, it was really cool to have that opportunity and I knew about it in like August. So Mindy, who's Gary's assistant reached out to me one day and she was like, and I, I had, um, like talked to Gary once or twice. We did like a life moment. And so she, so I knew it was her. So she texts me at like seven 30 in the morning. And so like six 30 in Austin. And she's like, I need to talk to you ASAP. And I'm like, all right, like what's oh, up? Um, and she was like, we need you to record today for mega camp. And I didn't even know that I was going to be like doing that. So I was like, um, let me clear my calendar. Like when Gary Keller wants to talk to you, you clear your calendar. Um, so that was really, really cool. And, uh, as far as like the actual, so I found out a couple weeks after I did my recording with Gary and Jay that I was going to be on the panel as well. Um, so that was really exciting, but uh, also like, okay, I've gotten like this, the big intense one over with. Um, but last week was, it was overwhelming. Um, I had a lot of people reaching out to me, even yesterday morning. I thought this week was going to be better. I had three agents call me before 9am wanting to like pick my brain. And I'm like, okay, like this is great, but when is it going to calm down a little bit? <laughs> so did they give you your questions in advance? Like, did you know what, were you on a panel? Yes. So originally me and Sven, who I think they aired Sven right after me. Like, I honestly don't remember because anything from like when I was aired afterwards was just like a complete blur because my phone, like I, I texted my team and I was like, guys, I'm shutting my phone off for the next hour and a half. If you need me, message me on Gchat. Like, cause it was, it was just too much. My phone was going crazy. People were DMing me on Instagram, emailing me, calling me, texting me. Some lady called me and she was like, oh my God, it's you. And I go, uh, who is this? And she's like, oh, it's so-and-so. I didn't think you would answer your phone. And I was like, yeah, I thought you were a client. Like, of course I'm going to answer the phone. Um, so it was supposed to be me and Sven talking about virtual events. And I guess the first people that they recorded earlier in the day, they did it as like a panel style, but it didn't work super well because of the tech. So then we kind of each like did our part individually. I can't believe you're building an entire business out of home buyer seminars. That's so cool. It's amazing to me. I feel like that's something that people always try to do, but we fail miserably. Uh, so what are some things that we can, anybody can try to do to make them at least more advantageous and get something out of it um, that's a little bit more positive than not? <laughs> yeah. I would say like the, the best piece of advice I can give is like one, just like do it and don't expect it to be perfect the first time because I think so many people just want to do it but they're so afraid and they never get started um my events were not predictable from the beginning so like the first event we did was amazing we had like over 30 people attend but then like the third event only four people showed up and had I not been tracking my numbers and measuring like what my conversion rate was, all of that, I probably would have given up after that four. I would have said, great, it worked three times. It's, it doesn't work anymore. However, every single person that attended that event became my client. And one of them was like, I think I got like a $20,000 commission out of. So if I hadn't been keeping track of that, I would have given up. And so I think a lot of people don't measure their numbers. I would rather have four people show up and every single one of those people becomes my client than have 50 people attend and convert none of them. So tracking your numbers, knowing your numbers, um, and then just like, it's, it's not a finite game. It's an infinite game. Like you're going to be evolving as you go. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just get started. And then every time ask yourself how you can make it better. The first few events I did, we did a PowerPoint and I noticed people were just like totally checking out. And then I realized 
obviously like I check out when I, when I see a PowerPoint. So then we decided to take that information and make a booklet and the booklet has like areas where they can take notes and they can fill in the blank. And so now they're taking all their notes and they might not be a buyer today, but when they go to buy down the road, my name is on all that, all that information that they took. I'm going to be the first person that they call, but that wasn't something that I started doing right out the bat. Like it's evolved over time. That's awesome. What about your uh, ad spend? I assume that you're doing social media targeted posts and that kind of thing. Um, what are you a able to do and like how much are you spending? How long are you running it for ahead of the event type thing? Yeah. So all we do is just Facebook ads um, because I didn't know anybody here. So I wasn't like relying on an SOI and it had to be paid advertising and face. I know how to do Facebook ads. So I was like, I'm just going to do what I know. Um, I think now we spend about 400 an event. Um, I usually run that about two weeks before, but four, 400 isn't the magic number. It's all based on how, what your potential reach is. So my potential reach is 40,000 people because I live in a city and I, I narrow down the demographics a little bit um, as far as interests and all that. So you want to take like the first three numbers. So if your reach is 20,000 people, you want to spend $200. How many ads do you run a month? Uh, we were doing three events a month, but we actually pulled back a little bit because I was going through my database and there were so many people that I had never followed up with. Um, and I just realized like I could not keep up with that amount of leads. So we, we do two a month now. Does your admin help reach back out to those old leads and do anything with those or? So that has been what my buyer's agent has been focusing on. I went through my database and found every single person that I either stopped talking to or never reached out in the beginning. And I said, here's your call list. You're calling. It was like 500 people. And he's still combing through that list today. He's set like six appointments so far from those people that I stopped talking to. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's the best. So you say we, when you're talking about doing the seminars, are you hosting them with a lender? Yeah. Yep. It's myself and a lender. Um, I guess that'd be the other piece of advice that I give people is like, don't overcomplicate it. I know people that are like, I have a lender, an attorney, a home inspector. Like that's, it's too much. People, and buyers don't really care about that stuff. Like they just want to know what can I afford and what do I need to do to get started? Mm -hmm. So what's the format like? You just walk them through the whole buying process? Yeah. So um, the general outline is like, we start by talking about what's, well, first we start by really encouraging people to participate. And we actually have like, we've built in prompts into the whole presentation where we ask a question and we won't, we won't keep talking until someone answers it. So it like, you have to get comfortable with that awkwardness, but the engagement helps so much because the more people start talking and opening up, the more people feel comfortable to ask questions. And you can start to identify like who's the serious buyer here and who isn't. So we start by talking about like, what are you hoping to get out of this today? We want to know like if they're coming into this with specific questions, cause that does come up a lot. Um, and what type of property are you looking to buy if they know? And then we talk about what's going on in the market. So we have a very, very competitive market here. And uh, like th this was a really eye opening thing for me when I bought my first house, it was $250,000. And I remember feeling like that is so much money. Well, a lot of my first time buyers here are spending between five to 700,000 on their first mm -hmm. house. So um, because of that, like we are, it kind of goes back and forth with um, Brooklyn, but we're like the third most expensive rental market pre-COVID. Things have changed a little bit with COVID, but a one bedroom is like $2,600, $2,700 a month here. So we're like, they see 600,000, they see 500,000 and they're like, I can't afford that. But when you show them that the monthly payment on that is probably equal to or maybe less than what they're spending on rent. And yeah. then we've actually always had appreciation in our market. So even back in 2008, 2009, we didn't see the rate of appreciation that we do now, but we did see like around 4% appreciation. So then when you start to kind of break it down for them and you're like, Hey, you're spending $2,000 a month in rent, which is incredibly low for our area. And you live there for two years. Your landlord isn't writing you a check for $48,000 when you move out in two years. 
But if you buy, you're getting that money back. Um, so it's a big mindset shift in this market because it, it seems very expensive. Um, and then we talk about financing, kind of like financing 101, what's involved in that process, what type of loans are available to buyers. We have some uh, financing programs specific to Massachusetts that allow you to put 0% down. And then we kind of just talk next steps, like, okay, so you're here today. What do you need to do to get started from here? And what does the whole transaction timeline look like? And does your lender qualify them on the spot or later down no. the road? No, it's because we, like, we have 20 to 30 people show up. So he's not setting appointments with every single person. So um, we send like some follow-up documents. He helps me with some of the follow-up reaching out to people. And um, I've gotten to the point where like I, I've been burned so many times and I just don't have enough time in my days. I won't meet with anybody until they are pre-approved, like at all. Like, I don't care if you think you can afford something. If you don't have a pre-approval, we're not meeting for a buyer consultation. Good for you. I think that's awesome. That's super smart. So you so much education, like ahead of time that by the time you get to the buyer's consultation and by the time they have their pre-approval, you're cutting down on your time and probably your showing agent is showing a million houses because you've narrowed down so much what they're looking for. Exactly. And the thing is too, like 78% of buyers will work with the first agent that they meet mm -hmm. and the earliest thing. And it's also like the type of buyer. So I like to just keep an abundance mindset and I, I'm not trying to get every single piece of business. Like I would rather work with less people that are just enjoyable to work with than like work with jerks. And I'm, I'm totally fine with that because I just know every time in my life that I have fired a client, better people have come along. So I love working with that type of person that attends a first time buyer seminar because they're very growth minded. They want to know, they want your advice, they want your help. So it just makes for a very seamless transaction. So like I, knowing that 78% of buyers are going to work with the first agent that they meet with, I'm now inserting myself into the very beginning of their buying journey. And it just, it becomes very easy from there on out. That's awesome. Kimberly, I have a crazy important question for you that I feel like will help a ton of people if you're willing to answer it. <clears throat> um, <laughs> what is the best time for you to have a home buyer seminar? Um, during the week, what day? And during the week, what time? Because this is also going to help you with when you should post and who's going to, you know, maximize the amount of people that are going to see it. Okay, so I don't think you're going to like my answer. I get okay. that question a lot. Uh, up until last week, I had only ever done them at one time. And that was Sundays from 1130 to one. The only reason we did those times was because it was the cheapest we could get with the brewery. So we literally went to the brewery and we were like, when can we reserve this space? And they were like, well, it's going to be this much money if you want this time, or it's going to be this much money if you want that time. And we're like, perfect, let's do it. So we were doing, we've always done them 1130 to one on Sundays. I don't really think that there's a right or wrong answer to that. Um, it's just knowing your demographic, right? So if you're going to yeah. host a first time buyer seminar, you're probably not going to hold it at nine o'clock in the morning on a weekday when those people are going to be at work. However, if you were hosting like, something for seniors, you're not going to host it at eight o'clock at night. Like those people are going to be in bed. No offense to the seniors. So it's just knowing your demographic. Um, we actually had one, our very first ever evening one on Tuesday last week from like seven to eight 30. And it went well, but it was just the same. It was like the same numbers. I think it, it doesn't really matter. There's no magic time. Just do it. Don't overthink the process. I mean, I feel like most people are doing events during the day, during business time. I mean, who do you think you're going to get? I mean, not people that are going to be buying, right? <laughs> not people who no, have jobs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think that's like one of those common sense things that people just don't really think about when they're going to set an ad for a time for an event. It's think about when they're going to be off work, who your target client is and, and, you know, what area of town they're going to want to meet in, that kind of thing. That's really important. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think that's where a lot of agents miss that kind of thing, for sure. Yeah, and even like, I know someone that was doing, she did a couple events during the day, but it was like lunchtime, and the location was very close to a lot of bigger offices. So she did get mm -hmm. a pretty 
good crowd. But I think with like COVID, it's tougher because I feel like not everybody has a uniform lunchtime. Like when people are working from home, like I wouldn't even dabble in doing anything during the workday right now. It's just, there's too many variables. Well, now we're all school teachers also. So you have to factor that in too. Yeah. That's hard. (laughs) So are you, do you want to transact? like transition back to um, in person when all these restrictions lift or are you going to stay virtual? What do you think? That's the magic question. I don't have an answer yet. I do miss a certain part of just being belly to belly with people. Like I really enjoy that. I've saved so much time not doing that though, because there was a lot of time involvement. I was making the booklets every single time I was um, having to drive to the brewery, having to set up at the brewery, having to clean up afterwards. So I probably shaved like two or three hours off my entire process. And it's nice, like just getting up and like rolling out of bed and like putting on something nice from the waist up, getting on my computer. Um, So I don't know. I think like in the future, we might do a combination because there's, there's just like an added level of connection when you're face to face with people. Have you guys started goal planning for 2021 as a team yet? So what does that look like moving forward through next year now that you've got these key players in place for your business? Yeah. So my goal is to do 200 transactions next year, um, which sounds crazy, but um, I guess when I look backwards at where I was two years ago, it's not unrealistic to grow that much. Um, a lot of it, I mean, I know a certain segment of that should be, I don't want to say guaranteed, but it's very predictable because of just knowing my numbers from events. But I've kind of gotten to the point, like I've always been taught when you're goal setting and you're doing your one, three, five, you don't really earn the right to move on from priority number one to priority number two or priority number three until you've really mastered that first thing. So theoretically, your first each of your three priorities should be able to get you to your goal 100%. So if you're doing all three of them at the highest level, you're essentially at 300% of your goal. Um, And so that's always been like a question that's come up a lot with my coaches. She's like, I'll be like, hey, I I come and do this other thing. And she's like, have you mastered your first thing yet? And most of the time the answer was no, we could be doing this or we could be doing this better. Um, I feel like I don't want to use the word mastery because I think mastery is an ongoing journey but I feel like I've gotten that first priority to a really high level and so our one thing for 2021 is uh customer experience or client experience so the question I've been asking my team a lot is what's the one thing that we can do such that every single person we work with gives us one referral so that's that's what we're working on right now love that that's my coach is like Jessica focus and I'm like because I don't want to have to do the work (laughs) (laughs) or we get bored (laughs) yeah because it is it's the same thing every day like it I mean it is but that's where you get to the next level is doing the same thing every day it really is you I would just like to say for a girl who started out by saying I just have a fine arts degree sound like one of the smartest business women I've spoken to in a long time so kudos to you you read like a business book, <laughs> uh, which is amazing. So do you have like, so now you've built this really big buyer business. Do you want to transition to listings or do you want to stay there with the buyers? Yeah. So it's really funny. Like I'm a big, I don't know if I into the rah-rah a little bit. And I believe like what you focus on expands and the conversation I've been having the last couple of months is like, okay, how can we start to build out a system that works really great for sellers? And our whole like mission vision in the business is to um, provide value through education. Like I, if you guys couldn't tell at this point, I really enjoy educating people on the process and it just makes it a lot more um, seamless of a transaction. So I've been like toying with the idea of a seller seminar. I'm not really sure how that looks. I've been kind of trying to come up with that idea of like, what does a seller education look like? And maybe it's not a seminar, maybe it's something different, Uh, but lists like, the intention with bringing Alex on as a buyer's agent was to be able to let go of some of that buyer business and be able to focus my energy more on listings. And it's funny because now that it's in my mind, they're showing up. Like I, I have a couple listings right now and I just, um, there was a, a unit that we had sold in a condo over the summer and the, the other neighbor just called me and was like, Hey, you sold my neighbor's unit. I want to sell. And so it's like, it's showing up. I just don't have a system around it yet. 
That's awesome. You know what I would love to see as a seller um, based on like your sales model is like a DIY or like a, here's a contractor that's going to tell you how to like improve your curb appeal or whatever, improve your bottom line and add equity as quickly as possible and a different thing each month or whatever you have a seminar for. And I bet you'll probably start to have like a ton of following for that. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's fun. So what do you think, what do you think your ideal team looks like? Because I feel like um, over the last year, for sure, but maybe the last two years, a lot of other agents that I've talked to that have teams are starting teams, like they're starting to rethink what they want it to look like and where it goes. And some people have gotten like so big that they're like, this isn't even profitable and I don't enjoy it. You know, so people are like, I feel like for a while it was just bigger, 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 bigger. And now people are like, wait a minute, let's think about what the purpose of this actually is. So do you know what your ideal team structure and size looks like in the future? Structure and size, I'm not really sure, but I do have a little bit more clarity around the vision. And it used to be for me, like, I want to be number one and I want to have this big team. However, I've always run a really lean business. Like my only expenses until I brought on a salaried person was advertising for the events. So I had a very high profit margin and um, I think like, I feel like the conversation around profit is relatively recent. Like before we were seeing these big teams and celebrating their top of the line numbers of, oh, they've done this many units, but we never knew that like they weren't really profitable. Um, and I thought that was so amazing that Haro shared that he didn't even make money. Like talk about transparency and vulnerability. Um, and to see people kind of like stand up there and be like, listen, I, I was being celebrated for the success, but we weren't making money definitely makes you rethink like, what's the goal here? Because if you're not making money, then what's the purpose? Um, it's something that I can't, you can't really like put, or I'm having a hard time putting on paper, but culture is the most important thing for me. Like I've been fortunate to get in business with some really amazing people. And the more amazing people we bring on, the more fun it is for everything, everybody. So at the end of the day, like if we're not having fun, then I don't want to do it. <laughs> I love that. Ugh, I feel like this could be me in like a year if I just got my life together and just copied you. <laughs> you that, that leverage for sure. Can you just send me your book of how to be like you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, really quick before we sign off. Um, everybody follows the red book, right? So we all know what the model says, but for you personally, what do you think is the threshold for number of units where you need an admin number of units where you need a buyer's agent? I'm always so interested to see what people like when they start leveraging, cause it's way, 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 way sooner than I ever did. And now I hate myself <laughs> for it cause I burned out. Yeah, it, it is. It's like a balance of what do you personally want to do? Like, I think for myself, if I really wanted to, I could do 200 buyers with a showing assistant, but I realized that like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, so I mean, this year I'll personally do 50 units and I'm pretty happy with that. Maybe next year I'll personally do a little bit more than that, but like, I don't feel I don't feel compelled to do more than that myself. Like, I feel like you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, like I'm pretty happy with this amount of money and your priorities switch. Like for me, what's more fulfilling now is seeing people on my team grow and like having those coaching conversations with them, helping them hit their goals. I get way more energy out of that now than I do like when I get a new client. And like a year ago, I would have said like, oh my gosh, I get a huge rush out of getting a new buyer. And now it's just like, oh, like another client. <laughs> Not that I don't love my clients, like I do, but my priorities and my motivations have switched a little bit. It changes fast. I think especially for Heidi's business is almost like a, like a drug. So it's like, I was going to do this. I did it. Now I need more. Okay. I did that. And now I need more. And then it's like, we've, we don't like the, like Gary says, get comfortable with the boredom of mastery. I don't like it. Like it, I don't, that is so true. It is like a drug. Like we get addicted to like wins and, and exciting things. Like even when I look back at earlier in the spring, when I was like, Oh my gosh, like this person wants to talk to me or this or that, like that was so exciting to me. 
And now it's like, I don't get that same type of high. And so now you're always looking for like that next high. It's like, we're drug addicts. Yeah, totally <laughs> are. Hence yeah. our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is part you know of what? that. Like the only thing that excites me like to that level anymore is like when my, my agents are excelling like way faster than I did. That's the only thing that like fulfills me right now that's what I'm passionate about is making sure that my people are better than I ever was and that's what drives me now because like yeah. yeah I know I can flip a house I know I can stage a house I know I can sell a house really quickly but watching all of these people learn how to do that and change their lives that's like the ultimate it's like watching your kids you know grow up and flourish and that's kind of it's like that's what that's what I love about our business now is that I get to watch that and it's happening really quickly and it's really cool to watch. So, yeah, it's so cool. Cause it's like you, not only are you excited for them, but it's like, oh, I did a good job. Like showing like the first time right. I did the buyer presentation to me, I was like losing my mind. I was so excited, not only because he nailed it, he did it a million times better than I could have. And so I was like, this is amazing. Like I was texting his fiance cause they were like, I know his fiance cause they were my clients before he joined my team. And I was like, did he like ask you to practice this a million times? And he's like, no, not really. And I was like, he is a rock star. And that gets me so excited. Like that's what gets me out of bed right now. You can hear it in your voice. How excited it makes you. I love it. I'm like, I'm a pretty like excitable person. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're going to be an amazing leader. It'll be super fun to see what you guys do next. Thank you yeah. so much for your time today. I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor, especially um, if Jason recommended me. So I appreciate you guys reaching yeah. out. Yeah, we had so much fun. Thank you. I hope you have a great day and we'll send you the episode when we drop it next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kimberly. Bye. 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 We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco.